there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Volume. Boxing with Chris Mannix is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there is a contest for every fan. FanDuel. More ways to win. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right, Teddy Atlas joins me now. Teddy, longtime boxing trainer, commentator, has a terrific podcast of his own called The Fight with Teddy Atlas. Also does great charity work with this foundation, which I want to ask him about a little bit later in the show. Teddy, good to see you, man. How's everything going? Good to see you, Chris. Everything's, you know, everything's going good considering we're living in a crazy world right now. And, um, <laughs> you know, crazy in a lot of ways, but um, we're here and grateful to be here and uh, grateful to have uh, family uh, no that, that is around me. Yeah. No question. Um, Teddy, I wanted to talk to you because I'm still kind of buzzing over what we saw with Anthony Joshua and Alexander Usyk. And you spent uh, part of your career, a big part of your career, uh, training, working with heavyweights. Uh, you work with Michael Moore, of course, Alexander Povetkin uh, more recently. Just tell me what you were seeing when you watched Joshua fight Usyk. You know, I was lucky enough to predict, you know, like Mickey Tuff, the great Mickey Tuff, used to say, even a blind squirrel finds an acorn once in a while. So I was lucky enough to predict uh, who was going to win that fight on my podcast and do a fight plan to break it down. But So I saw what I thought I would see, to be quite frank. Um, I saw in Usyk a more complete fighter, more developed, complete fighter, more dimensional, but a stronger guy mentally. That might surprise some people, maybe. I don't know, um, to hear me say that. But uh, I, I saw... 
a guy that is I I believe stronger mentally than uh than Joshua. I mean, I don't think that you would have saw Joshua fall apart the way or I should say I don't think you would have found found Usyk to fall apart the way that Joshua did against Ruiz that time. You know, uh mentally, physically, you know, in in all the dimensions that he did. Uh just like I think quite frankly Fury is mentally a stronger guy than than Deontay Wilder. Um, so I I assess that all when I break down a fight. I look I try to look at all dimensions, and I also saw a guy who knows how to win. And, I, and a lot of people poo pooed me when when I made that a big deal on my podcast. Oh, he knows how to win, but what about his left? What about the right? What about his you know what about the right hand power? What about the side? Yeah, I get it, but um, some people know how to win better than others. And uh, he he even tangibly, physically showed that because Usyk got ahead three nothing at least on my scorecard. Some of those crazy judges, I don't know, I don't know what they're doing, but uh, I can only speak for myself. Uh, he was ahead three nothing, and then I saw Joshua catch up, and he slowly started catching up. He he evened the fight up. But then every time he even the fight up, the man who knows how to win, Mr. Usyk, went ahead the next round. He didn't let two rounds go by, get in the bank where the momentum would have got on the wrong side. He didn't let that happen. Why? He knows how to win. That's why. And um, I, I also saw right from the beginning, Chris, the difference to me. I made a note on my scorecard. I said, here's the difference. Right here, first round, the jab. One guy is snapping it out, the other guy's pushing it out. You guess what? You don't need Teddy Atlas to tell you the guy snapping it out is probably going to do better. And um, and it also, the jab is a light detector for me in boxing. Because when a guy's pushing a jab, he's telling you, he does, he's looking for one punch. He's telling you, he don't mean to tell you that, but that's that's what he's telling you. It's a polygraph test. He's telling you, yeah, I'm only looking for one punch, and that's where I'm really got my confidence. I'm really not sure in all the other areas. I'm not really together in all the other areas. And that's what he was telling me, and that's what he was telling Uzi, which is more important, that I'm just looking for the right hand, and, and I'm going to land, and I'm going to win, and or I hope I'm going to win. And Uzi was snapping it out controlling a guy with the jam. And to me, a lot of things came afterwards. I get it. But uh, that was that was the concentration of the fight. That was, that was the core of the fight right there. And then, of course, like I would always say on ESPN, you know, you set the table with the jab, then you eat with the power punch. He did. He set the table and then he ate with the left hand, you know. And um, I thought he could have knocked him out. I'll be honest with you. But I, I thought he played it uh, smart. I, I, if, if you listen to him, I believe he's an honest guy. He listened to his corner. I believe he did. And they said, play it safe. You know, don't go for the knockout. The guy still does have the right hand. And he did. And um, so I, I just saw, that's what I saw. I saw a more complete guy, a, a more confident guy, a guy that doesn't know how to win, and a guy who was using the jab the proper way. You know, part of the success, Teddy, as you well know, of any fighter in any fight is the strategy they have going into the fight. Joshua came in at one of the lightest weights of his career. He came in looking to, seemingly to my eyes, looking to box more with Usyk than bully him around the ring. What did you think of the strategy Joshua employed in this fight? 
I, I think that it's representative of where he is mentally. After the Ruiz fight, he lost a lot of his confidence. He lost. He never got it back. Humpty Dumpty fell down into a million pieces, and you know what? He never quite got put back together. Never quite. I don't think he got quite put back together. Um, I think again, it's a polygraph test. It's it's telling you that you know he he doesn't believe in certain dimensions he used to believe in within himself. Uh, you know he he's not so sure about being the biggest, stronger guy anymore. Now now it's more about being careful. Now it's more about being safe. Now it's more about not getting hurt. You know, and, and when a fighter starts thinking in those dimensions, guess what? He's got a problem. He's, he's got a problem. It's, it's like uh, if you were gunslinger back in the old days of the old west, you know, and, and you made a living doing that. You, you start worrying about getting shot. You, you probably, your game might be a little off. Your game might be a little because guess what? That's the business you're in. And, and you better not show it. You better not wear it on your sleeve. And he showed it. He showed it by coming in that light. Uh, I believe, again, that he's going to be, he's thinking going in that, hey, I'm, I got to be careful. I got to, you know, I got to be, hey, it's nothing wrong with being more responsible. I teach guys to be more responsible, to be better defensively. That's great. But this is a little different. This went into the mental terrain. Um, a little bit, the, the, the inner workings of a fighter, the, the belief system, the confidence of a fighter, you know, and that, that is really at the core of things. And, um, I, and he's no longer the bigger guy. The funny thing was everybody, you know, he was 20 pounds heavy, but he wasn't really the bigger guy no more. You know, everybody said, oh, he's the bigger guy. He's going to win. He's a three-to-one favorite because he's the bigger guy. He's this, that. But he kind of gave up some of that bigger guy so, so-called advantage, you know. And then I'm looking at the advantage going in when I was handicapping it where what about the smaller guy's advantage, being faster, better legs, you know, quicker hands, you know, technically being more dimensional, as I mentioned earlier, you know, having – not learn how to lose. I think that was a big deal. I, I, I kind of used to coin that phrase on ESPN. Uh, this guy never learned how to lose. And the other guy learned how to lose, and he accepted it. It's easier. It's easier to do it again. It, mm. it, it is. And, and that's one of the things. I'm not going to say bother me because I think he's a decent guy, uh, Joshua, but as a professional trainer, I think – I think it was a little uh, – it didn't bode well with me to see how easily he accepted defeat. Mm-hmm. Just uh, – I, I, I get it. I want my guys to be gentlemen too. I want them to be gracious in defeat. I know that saying as well as anyone else. I get it. But there's something to be said about a sore loser. And – um I, I just I just didn't see that in Joshua, and I didn't see it the night that he lost to Usyk, um, to be quite frank. And yeah, that that was a, that, that was a criticism of him after the loss to Andy Ruiz too. It almost seemed like he was okay with losing his titles, losing for the first time. But I want to ask you, the confidence you speak of that Anthony Joshua may have lost after Andy Ruiz, can a fighter get that back? That's a good question, Chris. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say, listen, 
they got to reconcile a lot of things to get it back. And they got to reconcile who they are. And they got to reconcile why they're fighting. Um, if I was, let's just say, let's make believe I was training them. The first thing I would do is I'd make them watch a tape of the Klitschko fight when he got dropped and he got up. I said, look at you. You're a different guy there. And he looked at me and, well, no, no, no. Look at you. Why did you get up? You didn't get up against Ruiz. Why did you get up here? Why? Why? That's the man I want. Why? Because you felt you had to. You don't feel you have to anymore. You have to. And if you have to, you can. If you have to, you can. But you, you didn't. And my theory on it, and I would have walked him through this. My theory on it, I would have said to him, because you were in front of X amount of thousands. I don't know what the number was, but 60 of, plus. of 60 plus Brits. You did not want to lose in front of them. You did not want to be submitted. You did not want to be conquered in front of them. You refused to. Why? Why? But in Madison Square Garden, you didn't. And that's what I would. That's where I would start. That's where my training would start with him. It, it would start. Yeah, it would. It would evolve into technical things, obviously. But it would have to start with that. It would have yep. to. It would have to start. What's the good of having a Ferrari in the Indianapolis 500 or whatever freaking races or Ferrari races in? What's the sense of having that with all that horsepower under the engine if the driver ain't no good? Let me put it in a, in a context of your own career. And it's not apples to apples, of course. But when Michael Moore was stopped by George Foreman and you know you trained him for several subsequent fights... Was he the same fighter after that? No, but we had to get back to being that guy. We had to get back to being that guy or, or close as hell, close as hell. And I found a way to do it in my mind. I sat him down. I watched the fight. I said, let me tell you right now, if you lost every round or if this fight was going into the 10th round was five, five or five, four, whatever the freak it is. Um, you know what? I might tell you not to fight no more, but it was. It was 10 nothing. It was 10 nothing. Mm -hmm. You're the better fighter. You fighting like a world champion. Maybe it was my fault you lost. He looked at me. What? I said, maybe it was my fault you lost because, because I wanted you to feel like a world champion so much that you probably went after more than you should have. More than you should have. But that guy hasn't been raced. He's still there. That mm -hmm. guy's still there if you want him to be there. The um, with Joshua's style, he's never fought Teddy like a fighter who's six six, two hundred and sixty plus pounds. Is that something at thirty one years old, this stage of his career, he can change? I mean, we saw it happen with Lennox Lewis, Vladimir Klitschko, among others. Can he become a better big man at this point of his career? If he wants to, if he has to, if there's an urgency. I'm part of the thing that I saw the difference when he got up off the floor with Klitschko and Madison Square Garden with Ruiz was um, obviously where he was, the geography of the fight, who he was fighting in front of. But uh, it was something to do with the zeros in his bank account. He, he didn't have to. And, and someone, I'm sure that he didn't articulate that in his head. He didn't think it out that way. But, but those things attack us 
subconsciously through osmosis, if you will. They do. And that's why it's up to a trainer to kind of like be that, that, <laughs> that shrink, that, that private detective, that guy who's always searching. <laughs> that's what you got to be if you're going to be a trainer, you know, dealing with these kind of things at this kind of level. Uh, you, 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 have to, you have to be an explorer. You got to explore and find these things. And, um, and you got to be looking for them. And I, the answer again is, yeah, if it's urgent enough to him. It has to be urgent enough to him. And, um, and the urgency doesn't have to come from, obviously, or be taken away from the, because of the bank account. It has to do with personally within. Who do you mm -hmm. want to be? Who do you want to be? You know, uh, and you can get it. You can, but who do you want to be? Who do you want to go to bed with? Who do you want to wake up with every day? Really, that's what it comes down to. It really is. As George Foreman. I have more respect for George Foreman. I, I love George Foreman. I, I love him. He knocked out my fight. He changed my life. I, but I, I love that. I, I really genuinely love him because of the man he is, what, he's, what he made himself become and how he did it. And, you know, that guy, he, it, he had to ramble around inside of an empty house. And I'm going to say the house was him. The house was him. He had, to, he had to ramble around in that empty house of himself for 10 years to, to find out who he was, to, to be able to go out there and really know who he was. Because you know what? He knocked out a lot of nobodies. I mean, he knocked out Joe Frazier. That's not a nobody. I get it. But the style, the size, whatever you want to say, Frazier coming off that. that People don't realize how brutal that fight was, that first fight was for Frazier. Forget about Ali, but for Frazier, how brutal that fight was, what it took out of him. And he was smaller than George, and he, he was made to order for the uppercut, all of that. I, I get it. But it's kind of almost like, <laughs> it's almost like the Rocky movie, Rocky Three, where, I think it was Rocky Three, where he was getting ready to fight Club Lang, and, and Mickey says to him, I don't want you fighting this guy. No, I want to fight him. I'm not, what are you talking about? I got nothing to worry about. I'm the champ of the world. I don't want you fighting. Finally, Mickey was forced to go where he didn't want to go. And he said, I want to fight. I'm the champ of the world. I'm the best. No, you're not. You're not good enough to fight. What are you talking about? I'm the champ. I beat all those guys. They were setups. These were setups. And, and all of a sudden, he started thinking, was I ever champ of the world? Who the freak am I? That's what George Foreman had to go through. Am I who? Who am I? Oh, I love George Foreman. I'm telling you, you have. If you look at things the way I do in life, you understand why I love him, mm -hmm. because I understand what a dark place he had to go through, and he had to bring his own freaking lantern. Nobody gave him a light, and and that's what he did. Well, that's what Joshua would have to do. Mm -hmm. That's what Joshua would have to do, and be willing to do. And have somebody to explain to him, that's what you freaking got to do. Mm -hmm. uh, last question for you. The, you know, Joshua, when he lost to Ruiz, took the immediate rematch and was successful. If you were working with Anthony Joshua, would you advise him to take Usyk on in an immediate rematch? No. 
If I'm his trainer, I'd make the rules. That's why, you know, it's, that's why not everyone wants me to train them. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine. That's fine because I don't want to train with everybody, by the way. And um, so, no, I would, I would demand one fight with me. One fight, not 10, not five, one. With me training them through a full camp. Then we go. How would you try to change him? The way I just talked about, within. I would start But like, technically, is there, I mean, no, when you get there. Well, first of all, yeah, technically, I want him to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. You know, to me, he's either making you miss or he's on the offense. I want him to be able to mesh the two together. Perfect example was at the end where he was getting, you know, touched up a little bit. And he, he's, he's just offensive. And, and he's, he's, like a, he's like a fence swinging in the wind. He, he's way over, way over. Well, I want to make those moves more concise. Just enough. Just enough. Because you go too far, you get the guy a chance to reload. It's that simple. So you, so I want him to move just enough to make the guy miss. Bop, bop, bop. Be right in position and counter right back. Be able to counter right back after he makes the guy. Not be way over here, way over here, where he allows a guy who maybe is prone to throwing two punches. Now he's he's throws seven. I would throw seven too if you're making those moves that wide because I know I got time to throw seven because I know you're handcuffing yourself in that kind of defensive posture. I know in my book, it's wrong. You got to make them tighter moves and you got to always be in position with your mind and with your body to punch back. With your mind too, that you want to punch right back to stop the guy from going on runs, to stop the guy from getting confidence. So that would be part, obviously that would be one part of it. And the other big part of it would be the jab. Not only pushing it, I don't want him pushing. I want him snapping the jab, not relying just on the right hand, not telling the whole world, hey, I'm going to hit you with right hand, because that's what you're doing when you're pushing your jab. What do you think the other guy thinks you're trying to do? Mm. Come on. You think you're the only guy that knows you're looking to throw a right hand? No, everybody knows. So I would work on the jab, snapping the jab. But like I used to say to fighters, I, I want to teach you to make your jab speak other languages. I don't want to speak in just one language. And and I would get this guy to do other things off that jab. You know, he, he he's not doing nothing. He's just looking to throw the right hand. I'd get him to do things off the jab so much that when he threw the right hand, you'd be surprised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think it's great advice. Teddy, it's uh, always great to catch up with you. You were telling me you're bringing your uh, foundation events back, are you? Going beyond the virtual world this year, right? Yes, sir. Thank God, um, because I'm not good in the virtual. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're pretty good, Teddy. I'll tell you. Well, just getting on here with me makes me feel proud that I could even do this. <laughs> I mean, half the time I'm worried about winding up on a food channel or something because <laughs> I don't know what the hell I'm doing. But um, I am a caveman. But no, we're coming back November 18th. We're coming back with our dinner. We get a thousand people. We get. We used to get 50, 60 celebrities. George Foreman came one year. Sugar Ray Lennon, you know, um, we're lucky. Tony Dancer, Phil Sims, Bill Parcells, whatever. Um, this year we're getting Tracy Morgan, just a beautiful man. And um, we're getting Marv Albert. He just retired. The greatest, I think the greatest well, definitely the greatest basketball commentator of all time, but maybe the greatest com- sports broadcaster of all time. But um, And 
we're going to do it as we always do. We're going to, we're used to do it at the Hilton Hotel in Staten Island. Hopefully everyone comes back. We get a thousand people. We get the celebrities that come. Uh, and uh, we can continue doing what, what we do is take care of people, help people, you know, the people that, as I say, fall through the cracks, you know, the people that sometimes have nowhere else to go, you know, their insurance isn't covering something. We fly them out of state to a place where they get uh, the, the, treatment program they need uh, because they can't get it there, they will we'll fly them out. Or they need a handicap rare, bang, we put it up. You know, they they need to they they need to pay for a cancer medication for for their child and it's fourteen hundred dollars a month. Can you imagine? Now now the the surgery got paid for, but what about the fourteen hundred dollars a month for the medication which the insurance says that doesn't get covered. So we step in, we pay for it, um, wh whatever it takes. A family's gonna get put out, they're having a hard time, they have sick kids, uh, one of them or two of them have to stop working and they're gonna be put into a city shelter, uh, which is not a good place to be put in, especially when you got five kids. We step in, we get them an apartment. Um, whatever it calls for, whatever it is, we're, we're blessed to be able to do it and we're, we're able to do it because good people out there give us the resources uh, to do it. So. Um, thank you for asking, and hopefully, you know, hopefully, uh, with with this crazy environment, uh, everything will, will still be okay, and people will come out and and do what they've done in the past. Uh, support us. Yeah, glad you're doing it. Doing great things have been for many years. Teddy, thanks for taking some time to join me, and I hope to see you out there real soon. Thanks, Chris. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash slash iHeart.